0: Tech Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English, with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 603 for the 29th of July, 2018. This week, several ways exist to test your internet connection speed. It's a good idea to check, at least occasionally, to ensure that your internet service provider isn't shortchanging you. We'll take a look at five options. In short circuits, an app that allows employees to communicate anonymously with each other and with people in related businesses will probably be near the top of the HR department's list of apps to detest. If you think you've won a Facebook lottery, well, you have another think coming. The appeal of online grocery shopping has attracted few people so far, but the market segment is growing. In spare parts, only on the website. Popular health information site WebMD will soon be available in China. Virtual reality is being tested as a way to help younger people understand the problems of aging and peripheral maker Kensington thinks you should have a base to raise your monitor height and while you're at it, place a fan under the monitor stand. You're probably paying a lot for your internet service. Prices in the United States are higher than those in most developed countries and the speeds are generally lower. So, you should at least get what you're paying for. With the Federal Communications Commission's destruction of net neutrality, a more hands-on approach may be needed. South Korea has the highest average connection speed, 28.6 kilobits per second. The United States is in 10th place, with an average connection speed of 18.7 kilobits per second. Among the nations with better connections than the United States are Norway, Sweden, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Finland, Singapore, Japan, and Denmark. And if you look at peak connection speeds, the U.S. isn't even in the top 10. Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, Qatar, and Thailand all have speeds in excess of 100 kilobits per second. Israel, Sweden, Romania. Romania? Yeah, Romania. Taiwan and Japan all have peak speeds above 90 kilobits per second. The five nations with the most expensive fees, well, the United States isn't first, at least. United Arab Emirates, Qatar, South Africa, Iceland, and then the United States. And if you look for the nations with the highest speeds on the highest price charts, here's where you'll find them. South Korea comes in at 60th place on the price chart, Norway at 14th, Sweden, 45th, Hong Kong, 52, Switzerland, 7, Finland, 55, Singapore, 41, Japan, 24, and Denmark, 32. So, the nation with the highest average internet speed has the 60th highest cost, and the United States with the 10th highest internet speed has the 5th highest cost. We pay more, we receive less. Now, you could take your internet service provider's word that they are providing the speed you're paying for, but that's not always the case. If your ISP can't provide what you're paying for, they should at least reduce the monthly fee. Perceived speed is actually a function of bandwidth. Adding bandwidth allows you to have more high data functions active without seeing slowdowns. A 50 megabits per second data connection would be fine for a single high definition video stream and audio stream and general web browsing. But if you have several people who need HD video feeds and others who play high bandwidth games all at the same time, you will need more bandwidth. If you call your ISP and say something like, "My connection is slow," well, there's not much they can do about that. You need to be able to say something like this. I'm paying for a 60 megabits per second connection and routinely seeing only 30 megabits per second. Giving the ISP support person actual numbers at least improves your chances of having something done about it. Use more than one speed test to determine how fast your connection is, and be sure to do it with a wired connection. That is a computer that's connected directly to your ISP's modem or your router by a wire not a computer that's connected via Wi-Fi. Using Wi-Fi introduces additional variables that can affect apparent speed. Once you determine what the wired speed is, you might want to check your Wi-Fi devices too, just to see if that's slowing access for those devices. If so, it's up to you to fix that problem. Your ISP is responsible only for the connection to the router. Several testing applications are available, and using more than one is a good idea. When you're testing, be sure to halt any applications that use a significant amount of bandwidth. In other words, don't be streaming video or uploading or downloading files or doing some online gaming while you run one of these tests. Running these applications during a test will result in incorrect values that are lower than what the ISP is actually providing. In addition to using more than one testing application, You should run the tests several times throughout the day and on several different days, including weekends. Others who are on your local network node will affect your speed, so it's important to get a comprehensive picture of the service that you're receiving over time. Once you've done that, compare the numbers with what the ISP is supposed to be providing. If you're paying for 50 megabits per second and the service is routinely under 40 megabits per second, complaint is certainly appropriate if it's 25 megabits per second well in that case both a complaint and a prorated refund or discount is appropriate the isp may upgrade your modem to a later version that has better throughput or examine the lines in your neighborhood to see if there's a problem there if you're seeing acceptable speeds but wi-fi devices are slow you might need to upgrade your router or add some access points throughout the house, particularly in larger houses. Although using the signal in the 5 megahertz band generally provides better throughput, any given device's distance from the router comes into play. The 2.4 megahertz signal will be stronger at distant locations, and for that reason might provide better service, even though it's technically slower. These, of course, are the kinds of changes that are well outside the responsibility of the ISP. So here's a look at some of the speed test services that I've found helpful. Most of the tests follow the same procedures. Several files will be downloaded and then discarded. The first file will be small, often 128 kilobytes. Next, a larger file will be downloaded. This file is usually double the size of the first. That process continues either for a specific number of tests or until one of the individual tests exceeds a timeout value. The actual speed reported will usually be based on the downlink speed for the largest file. The upload test works the same way, except that the application creates random data files that are uploaded. No actual data from your computer is used. The uplink process usually consists of fewer tests, too, because home-based internet connections have significantly different speeds for downlink and uplink. 60 megabits per second down, for example, versus five megabits per second up. Home users rarely need faster uplink speeds. Fast.com is run by Netflix. It provides just a single number by default, the downlink speed. That is the only number that's important for streaming video, but users can select an option to show more information if you want. If you do that, you'll see displays for latency, lower is better, and the uplink speed. Fast.com is a good service to use for a quick, basic set of results. You'll find a link to Fast.com on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. You'll also find links for the others that I'll be talking about here. Speedtest.net will display a ping response time, lower is better there, and average speeds for downlink and uplink connections. Although the service automatically selects the testing server it feels is most appropriate, You can modify that if you'd like. Speed of Me is entirely based on HTML5, so it does not depend on Flash or Java. This is important for iOS and Android devices. It also provides a visual representation that shows downlink and uplink speeds in relation to file sizes. You'll see that smaller files have lower throughput. That's because of the time needed to establish and finalize the connection. TestMyNet takes a long-term view. and makes it somewhat unusual. Start the process and leave the web browser open, but minimize. It then tests the connection speeds once an hour. TestMyNet suggests waiting 24 hours and says they believe this is a more accurate representation of your true speed because it depends on responses from servers outside your ISP's immediate network. And the most unusual approach comes from Comparatech.com. Every time the service is used, they donate one cent to Computers for Africa or the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Now that should immediately raise at least one question. How can a free service make contributions when people use it? Well, the top of the screen hints at the answer. There are links for online backup, antivirus, virtual private networks, and other comparisons. The UK-based organization says, first and foremost, we are a pro-consumer website, providing information, tools, and comparisons to help consumers in the US, UK, and further afield to research and compare tech services. So, the speed tests serve primarily as bait to get people to come to the site. Those who use the comparison services will see links to some of the reviewed services. And some of those links earn referral fees when somebody signs up for a product or service. However, the site's disclosure page notes that they also post links to services and websites with which we have no advertiser relationship. Using one of the referral links does not incur any additional cost. And they are so upfront with everything that I wouldn't worry about the advertising. But I would take a little time and check my internet connection speed. Just make sure you're getting what you think you're getting and that you're getting what you're paid for. short circuits, what if somebody created an app that allowed employees to share information freely and anonymously, that allowed them to ask questions about pay and morale, to ask about planned layoffs or restructuring? These are the kinds of things that most business managers and human resources departments don't want their employees to discuss ever at all. Well, it's no longer what-if. Team Blind exists and the site explains it this way. Blind is an anonymous community app for the workspace. Whether you are new to your job or have been in the industry for a while, you can find relevant information and advice from verified colleagues in your field anonymously. Users on Blind are grouped by company and industry, providing honest feedback from user to user and sharing information with verified professionals. Large companies often publish guidelines for employees stating that they should have no presumption of privacy whenever they use corporate computers, networks, telephones, or any other resources. Possibly for that reason, Blind works with iOS and Android devices, but users can log in with a web browser. Doing so from a corporate computer via the corporate network would, however, be unwise. It would also be unwise for blind to allow just anyone to create an account claiming to be from Microsoft or Amazon or Google. So the service does require that new users be able to receive a confirmation email via a corporate email account. After that, corporate resources need not be involved again. Now, Companies that truly want to block employees from using the service could intercept the confirmation emails and bounce them. BIND also does allow prospective users to authenticate themselves via LinkedIn, but access is limited. Some sections are limited to employees of a single company, while others are open for general discussion. Topics range from careers and work visas to pay and other compensation, and on to housing and politics. Blind claims more than 50,000 companies are active on the service. If that's true, it would include a large number of medium and small companies in addition to the biggies. For those who are willing to forego the anonymous discussions with coworkers, Blind does accept enrollments from Gmail, Yahoo, and other public email domains, as well as educational domains. Signing up with a public domain or an educational domain provides read-only access to topics, and limited topics at that. For access to other channels and to be able to comment, users must complete verification with a work email. The company promises privacy, even from members of the blind team. We take our privacy very seriously, a notice on the website says. Although email verification is required to access blind, our infrastructure is set up so that user account and activity information is completely disconnected from the email authentication process. The privacy page says that work email addresses are encrypted and locked away so there is, and I quote here, no way to trace back your activity on Blind to an email address. If you'd like to learn more about Blind, check it out on the Blind website. There is a link from the Tech Fighter Worldwide website. <laughs> What should you do if you receive a Facebook messenger message or an email from Mark Zuckerberg that says you've won the Facebook lottery? Well, that's easy. Report it if you want to, but at the very least, delete it. It's a scam. Facebook does not run a lottery. Reporting it is probably pointless because Facebook has already heard about it, On the other hand, if you're able to analyze the message and identify any information that might help track down the crooks, well, then you might want to pass that information along. But because you've won some lottery, you'll soon receive tens of thousands of dollars, these messages say, maybe millions. But first, you do need to send a small payment to cover processing fees. Right. Doing that, in addition to losing your small processing fee, can reveal your banking information to the scammers and then instead of receiving a lot of money you might find that your bank account has been emptied it's a variant of the old nigerian prince scam the one who wants to give you millions there are dozens of variants of this old scam and most of them depend on identifying and taking advantage of people who are dim-witted in fact that's why the offers are so absurd Crooks don't want to waste their time with people who are smart enough to figure it out. And unfortunately, in this case, Facebook has been rather slow to respond by removing the fake accounts used to send the scam messages. So beware. It seems that just about every grocery chain now offers the ability to order food online. Have someone pull the order and then pick up the order later at the store or have it sent to you. Is this something people really want? Now manufactured food is one thing. There's not much difference between cans of green giant corn. But what about apples and bananas? Wouldn't you rather pick your own? A report by the Packaged Facts Division of Market Research provides some insight. The report, however, addresses just two of the players in the market, Walmart and Amazon. While Amazon is the leader in online grocery purchasing, most people seem to prefer buying groceries the old-fashioned way, in a store. Walmart is the largest retailer in the world, but there are plenty of other grocery stores These range from organizations such as Kroger and Whole Foods, which is now a division of Amazon. These are ones that have large stores to specialized stores that are much smaller, Trader Joe's and Aldi, for example. Both of those are actually owned by the same German equity firm and even smaller stores. The Packaged Facts report says that about 6 in 10 grocery shoppers have purchased groceries from Walmart in the last three months, with the vast majority doing so in stores, even though Walmart offers online ordering. About 9% of grocery shoppers have purchased groceries online from Amazon. Amazon's online grocery sales are growing, but online grocery shoppers are still a small minority. Despite the fact that the report is limited to just two retailers, there is some useful information included, and it's likely that shoppers at other retail locations share at least some of the preferences shown by Walmart shoppers. Those who use Walmart to purchase groceries online are likely to cite prices, while the Amazon online grocery shoppers are more apt to be interested in free delivery. Walmart online grocery purchases generally cite website grocery descriptions, customer service, and one-stop shopping as important, while Amazon purchasers are more likely to consider same-day delivery and one-day delivery to be important. Walmart online grocery purchases are likely to be interested in fresh food variety, and Amazon purchasers often stress bulk purchasing and the ability to obtain unique exclusive products. Compared to Amazon online grocery purchasers, Walmart purchasers are more apt to cite online payment options and in-store or curbside pickup as important. Subscription services tend to be more likely to Amazon purchasers. So if you'd like to read the full report, it is available on the Packaged Facts website. And available exclusively on the TechBiter Worldwide website, exclusively perhaps because nobody else would have it, is Spare Parts. This week, popular health information website WebMD will soon be available in China. Virtual reality is being tested as a way to help younger people understand the problems of aging. And peripheral maker Kensington thinks you should have a base to raise the height of your monitor, and while you're at it, place a fan under the monitor stand.